Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 117. Hey, what's up? This is Pat Flynn from smartpassiveincome.com, the Smart Passive Income podcast. I so encourage you to listen to the Read to Lead podcast with Jim. Jim? Wait, is it Jim? No, Jason. Jeff Brown. Listen to Read to Lead with Jeff Brown. You will not regret it. You're self-absorbed, self-centered, and you come from the old school that says somehow you think a company or your boss or an environment owes you something for showing up. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi there, and welcome to the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where the topic of leadership is each and every week, you might say, central to our discussion. But we also dig into topics like personal development, productivity, business, marketing, entrepreneurship, jobs, and career. You might say it's career and entrepreneurship, sort of getting the focus in today's discussion as we get to learn from Jim Keenan, whose friends, by the way, just call him Keenan. He is the author of the book, Not Taught, what it takes to be successful in the 21st century that nobody's teaching you. In just a moment, I'm going to ask Keenan about the importance of thinking of yourself like a product and advice for anyone struggling with the idea. The two things more important to your success today than even earning a degree. Why it's important to understand the key difference between experience and expertise and much, much more. Read to Lead University will be launching soon a membership site just for listeners of this podcast, especially for you if you struggle with bridging the gap between intention and implementation. Read to Lead University is going to help you do exactly that. I've got a lot of great uh, people lined up, guest lecturers. Uh, I myself will be doing a fair amount of teaching as well. We'll get together a couple of times a month as part of Read to Lead University, and I would love for you to be a part of it as well. If you want to be notified when registration opens for Read to Lead University, you can text, if you're in the States, the word university to 33444. That's university to 33. Four four four. If you're outside the U.S., simply make sure you're on the Read to Lead podcast mailing list, and you can sign up for that at readtoleadpodcast.com. Jim Keenan, or Keenan, is CEO, President, and Chief Antagonizer of A Sales Guy, Inc. He's been selling something to someone, he says, for his entire life. He's been teaching and coaching almost as long and has been influencing, learning from, and shaping the world of sales for a long time. He is the finder of the elephant in the room. He calls it as he sees it and lets nothing or no one go unnoticed. Keenan is also the author of the book Not Taught, 
what it takes to be successful in the 21st century that nobody's teaching you, and I am loving it. Uh, Keenan, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Excited to have you here. Thanks, my man. I'm super excited as well. Super excited. Well, I want to dig into some of the specifics of the book, of course. Before I do that, I wanted to ask you more a more general question. Why did you feel, Keenan, that, that this book had to be written, and why now? You know, it's funny. I, I get this question a lot, and I wish I had some like one quick answer. <laughs> and it was this big epiphany. Um, but Adam Grant has a book called Give and Take. Mm. And this is a good example, I think, of, of his premise. In his premise, he says the most successful people give more than they take. Yeah. And we a lot of times think it we, when we give something, we want to take something directly in. It doesn't always work that way. So long and the short of it is, a friend of mine had asked me if I'd be willing to speak to the University of Denver um, one of his graduate classes. And I was like, sure, what do you want me to talk about? And uh, he said, uh, would you come in and just tell them what they need to know when they graduate? And I was like, all right, that works for me. And he wasn't <laughs> going to pay me or anything. So he has the giving part, right? All right, I'll right. take an afternoon off and go do this. I think it was like an hour and a half, two hours. And so I sat down, I started writing what I thought they should know. And when I was finished, I was like, this is nothing like when I graduated. Mm. And so I, you know, I presented it. They loved it. It went really, really well. And and so then I wrote a blog post on it, and that did really well. And so I said, okay, this is something here. And I asked a very interesting question. Why is it different? And that's what led me to the idea that we're changing I'm an age. And when I realized how fundamental that was, I said, there's a book here. So I mm. sat down and wrote the book. Well, in chapter one, you make an assertion that, that uh, is key to me. Keenan asserts that, that reach is the most valuable non-monetary asset in the world, reach. Keenan, why do you believe that to be the case? Well, you know, it's interesting. It, 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 I mean, I suppose from a debating perspective, it's not a fact, but I think it's pretty <laughs> darn close to a fact mm. because here's the deal. reach is influence, right? If, if, if you have the ability to get people to move to action and buy something or do something for you or promote something, that's reach. I mean, I, I talk in the book about William Randolph Hearst. He was one of your first, the greatest advocates or, or greatest arbitrages of reach, if you will. Mm. And he had 35 newspapers all across the, the country. He had the greatest reach of anybody. If you had a message, the turn of the century, the 20th century, if you had a message and you wanted to get out to the masses, you had to go through him. Mm. And he was worth, well, the equivalent of billions, if not billions of dollars. So that defines reach right there. Who, who has one of the greatest reaches in the world today? Oprah. Right. So when Oprah created her book club, why do you think she created that book club? Because she recognized pretty sure that when she said, oh, this is a good book, the Oprah effect, woof, <laughs> everybody and their mother bought it. <laughs> That's reach at the extremes. Right. So all of us now should be thinking about how we can create our own level of reach. To create that, that, that's value. You can measure that. You can absolutely measure. Newspapers do. They say, if you want to get to our people, you'll pay X amount. That's how much our reach is worth to you. I probably should have prepared you, Keenan, for the read to lead effect. <laughs> oh, yes. Good. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it, man. Holla. Watch out. Watch out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Keenan, what advice would you give to anyone still struggling with the idea of thinking of themselves as a brand or as a product? Look, I'm a little harsh in this area. People <laughs> think like that. You're self-absorbed, self-centered, and you come from the old school that says somehow you think a company or your boss or an environment owes you something for showing up, mm. 
right? Look, I recognize this early, so I, I don't think I gave it words, but I recognize it early. The harder I worked, the more that I delivered, the more money I made, the more in demand I was. Mm. But for a lot of people who aren't in sales or something like that, with a it's a one to one correlation, they figure, hey, they hired me to to show up. I showed up. I did my job. I went home. What's the problem here? And the problem is, as a business owner, when we when we put an ad in the you know online or we we go to a recruiter, we try to hire you. We try to fill a position. What we're saying is, we're putting thirty, fifty, a hundred, hundred fifty, two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars aside for you to go do something. <laughs> Because we expect a return on that. Mm. We're saying that because we don't have this accountant, something's happening. We're not getting bills paid on time. We're spending money where we shouldn't. We're losing out on our, on tax savings. Where, uh, where, where Our DSOs, our day sales outstanding, are longer than they should be. And that's costing us something that is painful. So we're willing to invest seventy-five, dollars $85,000, $95,000 for that to go away. and so therefore when i go to get you and hire you to do it you're the product that's going to make that go away and if you suck at it or you're not very good at it or you don't see yourself as a product that can deliver better than a piece of software or the next guy i don't know what to tell you because i don't want you i'm investing i want return on that investment look you are a product and you have to deliver value and if you can't deliver value i don't care how long you've been working there i don't care how much you know i don't care how much experience you have i don't care how long you've been in the union nobody cares and knows your boss what they care about is how much value you can bring well of course at the heart of of uh, leveraging your own personal brand is is content creation obviously and so how do you go about recommending people determine the kind of content they they ought to be creating you have to be able to to create content leveraging today's um, information world to share that with people. So, you know, back in the day, the only way to know you were good was someone would say you were good or your resume. And even in those days, people were good at making resumes look people better than they really were. Mm. Now that we've transitioned from the industrial age to the information age, we have access to information everywhere, thus the information age. <laughs> you have blogs, YouTube, LinkedIn, LinkedIn Pulse, Quora. I mean, the, there's so WordPress, there's so many repositories for information that if you aren't treating yourself like a brand and beginning to create content that tells people why you're valuable in what you do, what you deliver, not, hey, look at me, I went to Harvard and look at me, I've got this degree and look at me, I finished 35th in my class or first in my class. It's, hey, I understand these sets of problems. I know how to solve these types of problems. I know how to bring value and I bring it in these ways. That's why content creation is important because you can write blog posts. You can do short video clips. You can write a, a post on LinkedIn once a week that talks about things going on in your space and how you solved them, or what the challenges are. Or you can teach people, teach people how to be better at what you do. That's my favorite one. People mm. want to build your brand, teach people. You teach people how to do the stuff that you do and they didn't know how to do it. They will follow you and love you forever. Well, I like to think so because that's, that's, that's my line of work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> well, why, why is it important, do you think, that we get comfortable, Keenan, with the idea of, of getting away from uh, what traditionally has been resisting and accepting change to being willing to be ones who are actually creating it on purpose? 
you know, so that's a good question. And so for your listeners, look at me, I'm taking control of your own show. Um, <laughs> what, <laughs> what Jeff is doing so brilliantly here, folks, is Jeff is walking you through the chapters. So when he asks me these questions, he's, he's, he's drilling down at some of these chapters. And I think this is good context. You understand mm. why he's asking these questions, where they're coming from. And one of the chapters in my book is change. And what I say is um, that in today's world, the rate of change is so fast that those people who fight it or only accept it are being left behind and value is diminished. So, you know, I talked about this change of era, right? Well, you know, I didn't go into this too deep, but the point of the matter is of the book, I said, hey, wait a minute, we're transitioning from the informa- from the industrial age to the information age. And with that transition, there's a whole bunch of things that are different. And one is the rate of change. I mean, shoot, I talk about in the book that in the 1950s, the average Standard & Poor company had been on the Standard & Poor's for 60-something years. In the mid-80s, it had gotten down to like 25 years. I think now it's down to 17. You have billion-dollar companies being built in less than two years or a year. Groupon grew to a billion in less than two years. It took something like 10 or 15 years back in the day to grow to a billion. And so because things are happening so fast, companies, CEOs, customers, they're desperate for people who can help compete in that change-driven world. Mm. And so therefore, you have to be a change creator. The idea of being a change acceptor or even worse, a change resistor is devastating. People don't have the patience to try to get you to come along because you can't see it, because it's uncomfortable, because it's different. And so you're a change resistor. You're just going to be cut out. People don't have the patience or the time. Acceptors, you'll be tolerated for a while, but you're not going to be recognized for bringing any value. Either person says, okay, well, once it's all changed, I'm not going to fight it, but I'll go along once other people lead. Okay, fine. I can live with you. But guess what? You're not moving my, my organization forward. A great example is BlackBerry. Mm. I mean, BlackBerry owned the market. And for whatever particular reason, they couldn't change fast enough, didn't want to change. Matter of fact, when Apple came out, remember they said, this is just a a toy. It's a business to consumer. (laughs) Businesses won't embrace this. Mm. Who's the genius that thought that was the case? (laughs) He was a change resistor. Mm. Mm. Well, I I know uh, back early in my career, um, I used to think of of salespeople as a special breed of people, uh, of which I was not one. And maybe maybe there's still some truth to that. I don't know. But I appreciate what you had to say in the chapter on selling, which I think starts off with nothing happens until something gets sold. Yes. Uh, describe what you mean by that. At the end of the day, no matter what it is you're doing, somebody has to make a choice or a decision to say yes. Okay, and, and I talk about it a lot in the book. Look, I, I have this phrase. I wish I'd written it in the book. I didn't. If you think selling is a profession, <laughs> you are in serious trouble. Mm. You are sadly mistaken because everything you do in life when you want people to do something is sales. Life is a giant value equation every day where people are interacting with each other saying, this, I see value in this, so yes, I'll do it. I don't see value, no, I don't. Someone trying to convince them, hey, look, there's value. Will you do this? Uh, maybe I won't. Mm-hmm. So that's all it is. The, the, your spouse, that was a sales job. They saw something in your personality, in your wallet, in the car you drove, in your, in your intelligence, in your physical um, makeup that said, hey, 
there's enough here that I will give up one hour, two hours, six hours of my, an evening, and I'll go spend time with this person. Mm. Wow, I had so much fun. I'll, I'll give up more of my time. I'll stop dating other people. I'll, <laughs> I'll spend money that I don't have to take this person out. You're, it's all a transaction, right? Mm. And we're doing it because we see value in that transaction. Well, that's what selling is. And so people who move through life and don't understand that when they're trying to pitch an idea to the boss, when they're trying to convince um, uh, 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 an investor to invest in their company, when they're trying to get uh, someone in a different functional group to support a new endeavor, anytime you need someone to say yes, that is a sales job. Mm. And if you don't understand that and you don't understand the fundamentals to selling and how to increase the probability of making that person say yes or your ability to influence that person, again, you're handicapped in the 21st century. Hmm. Keenan, I've recently been courted to consider spending some time this fall and moving forward uh, at, at, a, at a nearby university to, to teach, uh, which I, I'm excited about. But at the same time, I'm also wrestling with a topic you touch on in the book, and that's the realization for me that our, our schools can't keep up with the pace at which the world and technology is, is changing and, and, and degrees don't have the value they once did. What's, what's more important in your mind than a degree not to discount it completely, but, but what's more important in your mind than a degree to be successful today? Knowledge and content, period. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I have a chapter in the book called Screw, the, Screw Your Degree. <laughs> and, and a lot of people take offense to that. And they're saying, what, we're going to have a bunch of idiots running around? And I'm like, no, no, no. And don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of an education. And if someone needs to or wants to go to college for an education, hallelujah, what I'm emphasizing here, though, is don't go for the piece of paper. Mm. Don't go to say, I've got a degree from Harvard, because you know what? I'll find 20 people, 50 people, 100 people who don't have a degree from Harvard that will clean your clock in, in, the, in the same thing that you are supposedly getting your information, your education in. I want you to go to school or get online or read a book a week or a book a month or whatever to absorb information to make you an expert at what you do to allow you to apply, let me go back to that brand idea hmm. to apply your brand to your customer group i.e your employer or your family or whatever the case may be and hmm. at a 10x return so look back in the day we went to get degrees and again this is all predicated on that era transition the only place let me put a question back to you jeff where did you and I learn, because we're older, <laughs> if we didn't go to college, where could we get the information that colleges had? Uh, we'd have to go to the library, I guess, would be about the only option. <laughs> the only option, brother. The only option. Dude, think about this for a second. When you really drop that down, you had to go to the library. And even when you went to the library, they didn't have textbooks. So you could get a, depending on the library, if you lived in New York, pretty good. If you lived in Southern Illinois, probably not so good. But if you wanted to learn the fundamentals of marketing and the three P's, I'm talking about the old school marketing, right? Mm. Um, pr- product, price, positioning, whatever. You, you might not have been able to find that. Like you would have had to work really hard or go on campus, get someone on campus to work with you because there was a difference between textbooks and books. So because of that, a degree was so valuable because not only did it suggest that you went to college, but it was proof positive that you had access to information. Mm. Guess what? We don't need that anymore, Jeff. 
I don't need proof positive that I have access to information. The internet gives me everything I need and then some. Mm. So we, you don't need your degree. You just need to acquire knowledge. And that chapter was written to get people to change their mindsets, to say, wait a minute, I don't need the degree. I just want to learn, learn, mm. learn, learn. Well, when I got this invitation recently to consider a teaching at this local college, one of the first questions I was asked was, do you have a master's? And I, I was expecting that question. And I said, no, but... I've got 25 years experience doing what you're asking me to teach uh, because I equated experience with expertise. But then I had my eyes opened a little bit when I read your chapter on that very topic because they're not the same thing, are they? No, they're not. And let's have a little fun here. When you read that chapter, what did you think and what did you feel? Um, I, well, I first thought, oh, crap. <laughs> I think the chapter even starts out with if you're over 35, you need to sit down first before you. Re- I think that's that chapter <laughs> before yes, you yes. before you read this. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, I, I it really um, it, it challenged me uh, to understand that 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 they don't equate to one another. That experience and expertise are not the same thing. That you can have uh, two years of experience, but uh, in that in that time, earn ten years of expertise. Yes. And the converse, right? Right, right. You can have 25 years experience and five years expertise. <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. When you, when you read that, and you, I'm assuming you started doing an inventory, how do you think your expertise lined up with your experience? Uh, not as much as I would have liked, uh, frankly. No, um, I, I looked at 25 years experience in a particular field, and I leveraged that to varying degrees to to accomplish certain things, uh, certainly uh, in, in, in dealing with clients and whatnot, and sharing what I've learned along the way. But I also realized that what I would consider the true expertise, the things that I'm teaching people today, really came out of the last five or eight years I was in that field, not, not the whole 25. The whole 25, that sounds awesome. That sounds great. That sounds impressive. But it was really the last seven or eight that mattered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also your absorption and ability to apply that expertise, mm-hmm. right? right? So I applaud you for recognizing, if I'm hearing you correctly, there might have been a gap between your quote-unquote 25 years experience and your actual expertise. And I love that. And that's mm-hmm. why I wrote that in the book. I don't, didn't write this to beat people up. I wrote this <laughs> for people to have aha moments. Mm-hmm. And when someone who's been doing something 15 to 20 years and is really banking on their experience and then stops and says, wait a minute, I, there's so much I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, my expertise, I could expand my expertise, you know, threefold and they start learning more and they start doing different things to gain more knowledge, become more of an expert. And that's a win because mm-hmm. look, when we're an expert in something, we're driving our profession and we're driving the job. Mm-hmm. When we have experience, it's driving us. And one of the examples I've used in the book, I believe, and I do it often, is the idea of a doctor. Look, there are doctors or surgeons with 25 years experience, and they're perfectly capable, and I would be perfectly okay going to them to do open heart surgery or whatever, right? Mm. But then there are those doctors who are the true, true experts who they designed the new tool. They designed the new stitch. They designed the new operating procedure that was less invasive, right? Mm. So, so yeah, great doctor, you get 25 years experience, but the truth of the matter is you're not nearly the expert <laughs> that this guy over here has been doing in 15 years because you just chose to count time. I show up, I do what I'm supposed to do, I'm mm. doing what I was taught, and that's it. The expert mm. asks the question, hey, is there more here? What don't I know? How could this be done better? Is there more information? Are there alternative approaches? Are there alternative methodologies? 
When's the last time I learned something new? Have I applied a new process? Those are your experts. Most mm. people live in experience. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I've been guilty of that, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's really about understanding how success is measured today, right? Yes. It's, it's results now and not, not time spent doing X, Y, or Z. Absolutely. Look, you know, you use that idea. If you had a choice now based on this definition, are you more, who do you care more to hire? The person with more expertise or the person with more experience? Mm. Right? right. And so why do we want that person with more expertise? Because that translates into more results, right? Back in the day in the industrial age, most of the jobs were repetitive rote jobs, right? There were a lot of, lots of manufacturing. Everybody says they want to get back to, which I can't get my arms around because nothing. <laughs> Nothing sounds more yeah. brutal to me than doing the same thing over and over. I don't care how much you're paying me, right? <laughs> I, if I was in the U, wait, the uh, United Auto Workers, UAO, whatever it's called, I don't care if you're paying me $100,000 a year to freaking do that drill all day long. <laughs> That's the most boring thing in the world, but mm. I digress, right? <laughs> so, th- so the idea of the idea of results was really not what we would measure on. It's did you show up? Did you do the work when you were here? Did you go home when I asked you to, right? Mm. Now companies are like, you know what? I don't need you in a seat. As I talked about earlier, I've got objectives. I've got to get stuff done. So the idea that I'm going to pay you to show up, like one of my favorite things is someone says, oh, I worked all night long. And I'm like, great. Did you get it done? And they go, oh, yeah, look at the PowerPoint. Here. I was like, yeah, but the PowerPoint was supposed to um, help us win the deal. Did we win the deal? No, nah, we didn't win the deal. Well, then, you know what? I don't really care if you spent all night on it. And guess what? If we won the deal and you spent 15 minutes on it, praise be to God, brother. <laughs> Well, I, I think this book is valuable for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of them is I think back to a conversation I had with an author named uh, Jay Samet, uh, who you may know. He wrote a book called Disrupt You. And I believe it was Jay that asserted that there are more millennials on the planet today than there were people back when our parents were born. And and the reality is, is there's just not enough jobs for all those people. And so I found that uh, the concepts in this book can uh, not only prepare you to be a better innovator and a better employee and more of a linchpin type employee, but it can also prepare you to be that person who goes out on your own and, and, and does your own thing. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I, I'm going to go look that up now because I, I'm fascinated by that, that idea that there aren't enough jobs. Mm. Um, but you're absolutely right. Let's just say that's accurate. So therefore, you have one of two choices. You become invaluable. And so those with you are above the line from the cutoff, right? Right. You are super. Here, let's look at the world like the NFL, right? There are only (laughs) so many positions every year. And the NFL starts with like a 75-man roster at the beginning of training camp. And by the end of it, they're down to 52. So there's the world. There's only 52 spots, right? Guess who knows he has a job? Tom Brady. Guess who knows he has a job? Vaughn Miller. Guess who doesn't know he has a job? Michael Johnson. Who's that? Exactly my point. Exactly my point. So that guy shows up in training camp, and if he's good enough, he'll make the cut. So this is a perfect example. As an employer, if you employee, if you do the things in this book and you focus on the results and you focus on thinking and you become a change acceptor and you focus on the acquisition of knowledge and you build your own reach and you build a powerful brand, you'll fall above the line. Mm. Well, Keenan, uh, while you were talking, I went ahead and sent you a copy of that uh, book on, uh, on Kindle. So you should see that any moment now. 
You were the man. <laughs> man, look at that. You're doing good work. Thank you very much, brother. You're quite welcome. Well, speaking of books, or well, actually, before I ask that, let me ask this. Uh, I want to move on to some questions that aren't uh, straight from the book. And before I do that, I want to give you a chance to share anything else from the book. You want, you want to make sure we know. Yeah, I think, you know, I get asked this question a lot. You think one of these days I'd sit down and I'd really, really hone in a powerful answer. But I always come back to the same thing. Mm. Listen, the world has changed. We moved from the industrial age to the information age. And with that change, the environment and the expectations have been raised and mm. transitioned. And if you don't know what they are, if you're still operating from the same methodology that our parents taught us around resumes and around you know, networking at networking events or whatever the case may be, and you're not using social and you're not creating content mm. and you haven't built a brand, you're done. Mm. Every day the world's falling behind. So you just got to understand what's changed and how to adapt to it. Well, good stuff. I uh, very much enjoyed the book. I'm almost all the way through it. And uh, it's one that, that I think needs to be on a lot more people's radar. And so I'm going to do everything I can to, to, to make, uh, make a dent in that. Thanks, brother. <laughs> the read to lead effect, as I said a moment ago. <laughs> I know it's going to be huge. I'm, I'm, I'm calling Amazon, telling them to make sure that services, servers are up and ready. <laughs> well, I, I'm wondering if you could name for us a, a couple of uh, books that you've read maybe over the last uh, year or two, Keenan, that, that have impacted you. What are those ones, those titles that you kind of go back to again and again? Well, one of the titles I go back to again and again, was the most profound book for my career. And it's called Execution by Larry Bossidy and Ram Charan. Mm. Look, you know, maybe it's because it's at the time I was a bright eyed kid with lots of ideas um, and or uh, uh, whatever. But the idea of execution is off the charts. Everybody has ideas. Everybody wants to do things. Uh, you know, there are sales managers and there are sales leaders or there are heads of accounting or there are mm. heads of product development. And they all got to get shit done. <laughs> right? but how right how you get it done how do you ensure it gets done are you asking the right questions I, do you have the right infrastructure in place do you have the right people in the right roles I, I mean and so when I read that book it changed everything first it changed how I think it drives my employees crazy because man I am the man of a million questions um, because I, I really want to challenge them like oh I got to decide we should do this 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 I'm like okay I love the idea how would we get this done who's going to do that what happens with, and they just say, ooh, and I say, okay, we don't have to get rid of the idea, but if we want to do this, we have to ask ourselves, are we prepared to execute on it? Mm. And if we're not, then to try it without trying to, without exec, without proper execution is automatic fail. Well, I know the book's not been out very long, Keenan, but I'd be curious to know uh, what you're working on next, if you can share that. What are you and your team working on right now that, uh, that's got you, got, got the juices flowing? We're, we're actually working on a number of things around not taught, including a, um, for lack of a better word, an educational series. Mm -hmm. So that when people read the book, we're actually going to have a, an educational thing that they can go through and actually learn how to build reach, learn how mm -hmm. to build their brand. So we're adding an educational component. We also just launched what we call the Tot series. And this is a lot of fun, folks. Follow me on, on uh, Twitter. Follow me um, on my blog at a salesguy.com and you'll um, – You'll get updates for this, but we are going and we're finding the experts who are already doing the things and not taught, and we're mm -hmm. doing a one-hour um, podcast slash blab um, on how to execute in the book. So we did one with Chris Brogan on how to build reach. Mm -hmm. We have one coming up uh, next week with Margie Worrell. She's the author of oh, yeah. um, 
Brave, uh, right? Great, yes, right. Very well done, my man. <laughs> for brave in the idea that people have to take risks. So we're going to teach people in this hour podcast mm. how to take risks, and they're going to listen to an expert who's done it and knows how to do it. So I'm super excited about that series. Well, uh, I again am very excited about the book, and I'm thankful to Chris Brogan for. Uh, uh, putting you on my radar. So shout out to Chris there, but uh, thank you, Keenan, so much for taking the time to spend with us and sharing a bit about the book. And I really appreciate you doing that and uh, hope and nothing but uh, great success for you going forward. Thank you, man. I really appreciate this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you finding the time for me. I've included links in the show notes page for how to connect with Keenan via his website, uh, the books he mentioned and referenced, uh, where to find him on Twitter, LinkedIn, and elsewhere. I think he's definitely somebody you're going to want to connect with long term. You can find all that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 117 for episode 117. If you have any comments or feedback on today's episode, you can leave those there as well. If you'd like to be notified when registration for Read to Lead University opens, simply text the word university to 33444 if you're in the U.S. Outside the U.S., just make sure you're on our mailing list. Sign up for it at readtoleadpodcast.com. I want to say thank you to Full Scale Life, who left a five-star rating and review in iTunes saying, finally, a podcast for people who love books. Thank you so much. If you'd like to leave a rating and review in iTunes, simply go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes. You can also do that on Stitcher at readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. I am so thankful, and I don't say that enough, that you listen to this show. I hope you listen most every week. And I hope you'll come back next time, too, for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.